Pastor John Cannon and the Congregation of Victory Church welcome you to this message from the Word of God. It is our heartfelt desire to see you grow closer to the Lord and to help you become all that He has created you to be. Our prayer is that through this ministry you would come to know Him in a greater way and that these teachings from Scripture would better equip you to fulfill His plan in your life. Now, let's join Pastor John as we study the Word together. If you have your Bibles, please turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. 2 Chronicles chapter 7 will be my text verse. I'm going to glean some from chapter 6. We're going to get to chapter number uh, 7 and verse number 14, which is a very familiar passage of Scripture for many of us. It's probably one of the most quoted, uh, most memorized passages of Scripture in the Old Testament. But 2 Chronicles, it's in the Old Testament. I did not say 2 Corinthians. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. So I hope and, do, I hope and pray you do bring your Bibles to church. Uh, and I realize that you may bring a, a hard copy of God's Word, such as what I'm holding. That's certainly okay. I hope you bring a Bible. But it may be for you. It may be an iPad. It may be on your iPhone. It may be on your BlackBerry or some other type of device that you have. Uh, and that's certainly okay. I realize we live in a, a technology-driven generation. And uh, there are some that are, are on the Bible, more on their there are different platforms of an iPad, iPhone, more than a hard copy of God's Word. And that's okay. The main thing is, is that you dig into God's Word. Please bring a copy of God's Word with you every single, every single Sunday morning as we glean and look into God's Word together. Now, our D6 theme for the week is restoration. And uh, we're going to be talking about restoring our lives, restoring our families, restoring our church, restoring things back into God's favor. The goal for the week is that we would receive and share the restoring power of God's forgiveness and His blessing. And that's our goal for the week. That's what we're trying to achieve, is that we can understand how to receive God's restoration in our life. And I promise you, He is in the work of restoring lives. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what's happened in your life. I don't care what your past has been. I don't care how broken it may be right now. Our God is in the business He's in the restoration business. Amen? Uh, he, he loves to recycle. And I promise you, uh, and my life was in shambles, and he took me and has recycled my life. And there's some elements that, that I think we glean from chapter 7 of Second Chronicles, verse 14. I'm going to be sharing with you in just a moment that will help in the whole restoration process. But I just want you to know, it doesn't matter where you are in your life. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter how shattered your life may be. I want you to know that we have a God in heaven who loves you. He loves you so much, He sent His only Son to the earth to die for you. There's nothing that you'll ever do that will make God love you any less. There's nothing you'll ever do that will make God love you any more. He loves you, plain and simple. And He is in the restoration business. He's in the recycling business. And I don't know where you are in your life this morning, but aren't you glad that we have a God who recycles? Amen? Aren't you glad He doesn't throw us away whenever we mess up or whenever we make some mistakes or our lives get shattered? Well, today that's what I want to talk about on the subject of restoration. So take your Bibles, turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, and verse number 14. I'm going to read this text verse, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump back into chapter number 6 and kind of see what's transpiring here in this passage of Scripture. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, and verse number 14, it says, If my people 
who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways. Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Let's pray. God, we stand in need of you this hour as we break the bread of life, as we glean into your holy word. I pray, God, just speak to our hearts. Personally, Lord, I'm totally dependent on you right now. God, I have prepared some thoughts. I have studied the scripture. I have put some things together that I believe you've laid on my heart to do for this hour. But God, I realize the very best that I can do is to reach the ears of those who even pay attention and listen. I realize it's real easy to be preoccupied while we sit together under the preaching of your word. That's why I'm dependent on you, the Holy Spirit of God, to take the words that I'm going to speak and say, go through the ears, but penetrate down to the heart and the soul of each one that's here today. God, we're all in need of you. And there's not one person here today that doesn't need you. God, we need you. And what I know, we come to different stages in our Christian walk. I remember as a 13-year-old boy at Penelope Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. I kneeled at an altar with my youth pastor and he shared the Word of God with me and led me to you and there I was saved. But I also remember those dark days and years to follow when I was disobedient to you and your Word and got out into the world. God, I'm so thankful that in my late teens and early 20s, God, that you didn't throw me away. God, I'm thankful that the world may have seen a bunch of junk and I was putting it on display. I'm thankful when, when the world saw trash, you saw a treasure. I'm thankful when the world saw sorrow, you saw joy. God, you're able to restore us. Every single person under the sound of my voice needs restoration. God, I just pray that you would take us where we are this moment and lead us to you. And help us, Lord, to be submissive to your word so that the process of restoration can take place. I pray, dear Lord, that we would have an understanding of your restoring power that comes through your forgiveness and your blessings on our lives. Everybody here today is important. No one is here today by accident. God, you're sovereign. You're in charge of it all. And you, God, have ordained this day and this hour for each one that's here. Help us to receive your word today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In our text, in Second Chronicles chapter 7, and verse number 14, is a very... Familiar passage of Scripture. Let's read it together. It's on the screen. Let's just read what's on the screen together. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Guys, I want you to understand that we are all in need of restoration. I know one of is becoming one of my big interests in life, and maybe as I get later in, in life, and 
get into that empty nest syndrome, which hasn't really happened. It's supposed to be happening, and, but it's not really happening. They're all still there, and we even have an extra that's there, so uh, it's all still happening. But anyhow, as, as, I think about, as I think about my adult life, there's something that I'm getting into, and my dad's been into this year for years. It's restoring old cars. I love to go see the old cars. I remember we had the church outing a while back over at uh, Grizzly, the Grizzlies baseball stadium. And while we were over there and going into our church outing that Sunday evening, there was an old car show that was out there. And, and boy, how, how beautiful it was to go see an old 69 Chevelle or, or a 69 Camaro Z28 or a GTO or a 57 Chevy and some of these old cars, these old muscle cars. I, you know what? I, I believe that's, that's one of the things that helped make them, made America great was some of those old muscle cars. Amen? Now we got cars with computer chips in them, and they're so finicky and finesse and I don't know, feminine. I don't know what happened. Just the old loud mufflers and the old old cars, and I just love that. But you you understand that whenever you go see the beauty of an old car, that that car has been restored. I mean, at one time that car came out of Detroit and, and it was in mint condition and someone bought it back in the 50s or in the 60s and as you well know, most of the roads weren't paved in that day and so the, the wear and the tear, the gravel roads and the dust and the beating and the clanging and the banking, you know, all that takes place, those cars get worn out, don't they? I mean, rust starts building up on them and they get worn out. Somebody has to care enough for those old cars to pull them aside, strip them all the way down to the frame, sandblast those babies, weld what needs to be repaired, start painting it and building it and restoring it from the ground up. And when it's done, once again, there is a beautiful masterpiece there, a good-looking old muscle car. Guys, you know our lives are a lot like that. I mean, we realize that every single one of us are born into sin. We're born with this sinful nature. And as we progress through life, it, it, it's almost like we, we just get down to the muck and the mire and, and the sinfulness of mankind of where we are. And, but, but aren't you glad that God took interest in us and He said, I realize that humanity is far from me. I realize that humanity is broken. I realize that humanity is rusting over with sin. I realize that humanity is falling apart. I realize there's no way to heaven unless I make a way. And He sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross and there the restoration process of our soul begins taking place whenever we surrender our lives to the Lord. And now, I'm not a 69 Chevelle or a 57 Chevy, but I am a redeemed man of God that has been restored by the power of God. Amen? I want you to know I used to be part of the world, but not any longer. Something's happened in my life. And I'm sure you could say the very same thing for your lives. We have been restored. I hope and pray you can get a hold of this message this week. It will really help because the devil's job is to steal and kill and destroy. He wants to rob you of your joy. He wants to steal your happiness. He wants to rob you of your self-esteem and your self-confidence. I want you to know that there's a God in heaven that loves you. And He sees you of great value and great worth. You say, how much is the value of a soul? Or how much is the value of a man or a woman? And I would say it's this much. And I hope there you see not the width or the length between my fingers, but I hope you see the symbol of the cross where Jesus gave, where God gave His only Son to die for you. That's how much He values and cares for you. In our text, I believe we see some prerequisites. I think there are some things that must take place 
before the process of restoration can take place in our life. So this morning I want to share with you some prerequisites, if you will. Some prereqs for restoration. There are some things that we must be doing. Now in our text, in chapter 7 and verse number 14, that very famous passage of Scripture is when the Lord is answering in response to Solomon's prayer. And he answers and he says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then, he says, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin. I will heal their land. I want you to see there is a condition. But I want you to see back, if you will, go back in chapter 6. And I don't have time to unpack all of this, but I encourage you to, to glean some maybe this week from, from um, 2 Chronicles chapter number 6. And, and here is where Solomon now, this is David's son, has now built the temple. Do you remember it was David's desire to build a temple for the house of God? One of David's longest desires that he ever had burning deep within his soul was to bring the Ark of the Covenant into the house of God. And David wanted to build a house for God. He wanted to build the temple. But of course God told David that he could not build the temple. But that his lineage, his sons, would come after him and build the temple. So here we have Solomon now, David's son, that has come and he's built the temple. And he prays. This is the, the prayer of dedication, if you will, that we see in chapter number 6. Now, I'm just going to glean down through here. I want you to look what he prays in verse number 15 of Solomon's prayer. Second Chronicles chapter 6. He says, You have kept what you promised to your servant, my father David. You see... Solomon is reminding God like he needs to be reminded of anything. He really doesn't. But Solomon is making and drawing attention to the fact that God has been faithful to his father David. That he has answered his promises to his father David. And so he brings that once again to God's attention. And then in verse number 16, he says, Therefore, Lord God of Israel, keep what you promised to your servant, my father David. He said, you've been faithful, God, to keep the promises of my father David. And now I'm asking you again, will you continue to keep the promises of my father David? And then down in verse number 17, he says, Now, Lord God of Israel, please confirm what you promised. He's asking for God to continue to confirm, to show up, to bank on the promises and give him some assurance that he's going to continue to bless him as he builds the temple, as he dedicates it to God, as he moves forward in serving the Lord. In verse number 19, he says, listen to your servant's prayer and to his petition. In verse number 19. In verse number 20, he says, so that your eyes watch over this temple. He's asking for God's protection. He's asking for God's blessings. He's asking for God's provision. He's praying that God would keep his father's promises, that he would continue to keep his promises through his servant now Solomon, and that his eyes would watch over the temple, that he would always be there. Boy, there's some good stuff. We glean on down through here. He's saying in verse number 23, he says, May you hear in heaven and act, and may you judge your servants, condemning the wicked man by bringing what he has done on his own head and providing justice for the righteous by rewarding him according to his righteousness. You know what You know what Solomon's praying there? He's saying, God, continue to be a just God. Continue to be a righteous God. Give the evil man what he deserves, but give the righteous man what he deserves. The righteous man deserves some rewards, and, God's, and Solomon's reminding God of that. But the evil man also desire, or, 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 or really deserves your judgment and your, your hand of judgment on him. Be a just God, he's saying in verse 23. We go down to verse number 24, the latter part of it. He said, I pray and I plead for mercy before you in this temple. Verse 25. May you hear in heaven and forgive the sin and restore the people. 
He's asking for God to remember. And He's pleading for mercy. He's pleading for restoration. He's pleading for forgiveness. He's pleading for God to move and remember them and show mercy to His people. In verse number 27, once again, He says, May you hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants. We fast forward to verse number 40, 2 Chronicles chapter 6. This is a wonderful prayer. Man, I just encourage you, why don't you just camp out in this prayer a little bit this week? 2 Chronicles chapter 6, and just, just meditate on each one of these petitions where, where Solomon is praying and he's offering up some petitions to the Lord. Look what he says in verse 14. He says, Now, my God, please let your eyes be open and your ears be attentive to the prayer of this place. Chapter 7, verse 1. When Solomon finished praying... Did that startle you maybe a little bit? Wow. I want you to think what Solomon and the people may have experienced as soon as he finished praying. Look what it says in chapter 7 and verse number 1. Please forgive me for those that just jumped out of their seat that high. I know, I, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. That was horrible. <laughs> My wife, she'll tell you I do that all the time. Uh, it's something in me. I, uh, chapter 7, verse 1. When Solomon finished praying, the Bible says that fire descended from heaven, consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Fast forward down to verse number 3, the latter part. When the glory of the Lord filled the temple, they bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground. They worshipped and praised the Lord, for He is good and His faithful love endures forever. Can you imagine, as soon as you get done praying, all of a sudden God shows up in a miraculous way and fire literally falls from heaven and consumes the sacrifices that Solomon and the people had brought before him. And you're going down through, you'll see how many thousands of, of cattle and different types of sacrifices were brought. You'll see all of that there. But fire consumed it all. And I want you to notice this. Whenever God showed up, whenever the glory of God filled the temple, the people didn't say, hmm, that's pretty good service today. <laughs> The people didn't say, well, I wish Solomon was, has, I wish his prayer would have been a little bit shorter. Man, I got things I needed to do this afternoon. No, they weren't concerned about that. Boy, Solomon, will you hurry up with this prayer? There's a ball game I need to get to on TV. Or, guys, you know, that's why God gave us DVRs. Hello? The people, when God showed up, after Solomon's petition, after his prayer in, in chapter number 6, the Bible says fire fell from heaven and the glory of God filled the temple. And the people did what? They fell on their faces before God. And they worshipped Him because He is the one that is good and that His faithful love endures forever. They were reminded of how God was faithful to their father David and how God fulfilled all the promises of David. And God showed up in a big way and He revealed Him. I like to say, Say this, God showed up and He showed off at Solomon and the people of God fell on their face before God and they worshipped Him because He's a good God. And guys, I don't know about you, but I want to experience some of that. Tyler, my son, was talking about going to the next level. Man, we ought to. Every one of us should have that desire in our heart to go to the next level. And how do we do that? Yes, by faith. It is by faith. Solomon's calling out to God by faith. 
And God shows up. Now, God's Victory Church, I believe, has some great, great days ahead of her. Amen? I do believe that. I do believe that. But here's what I want us to do. When God shows up and shows off, I want us to worship Him. I want us to honor Him. I want us to turn all the blessings upward, all the praise upward, all the acclamations upward. It all belongs to God because He's a good God. Amen? Solomon's praying. He says, when your people sin and you cast judgment on them and famine takes over the place... And the locusts come in and wipe out everything. And there's a drought and there's rain. Solomon is praying an intercessory prayer on behalf of the people of Israel. He says, when that takes place, God, when they repent, when they call out to you, will you forgive them? Will you continue to be merciful? We go to chapter number 7 and verse number 14. The Lord appeared to Solomon at night. After all that took place in chapter 6, and boy, I could preach for hours in chapter 6. In the first part of chapter 7, God shows up and He talks to one man. He talks to Solomon. Man, how long for those days in my own life when I can just get along with God and God show up and speak to me? And God spoke to Solomon. He appeared to him. At night, and he said to him, What a blessing. I have heard your prayer, and I have chosen this place for myself as a temple of sacrifice. That was verse 12 of chapter 7. Verse 13. If I close the sky so there is no rain, or if I command the grasshopper to consume the land, or if I send pestilence on my people, he says, Then, if my people who are called by my name, if they humble themselves, and they pray, and they seek my face, and they turn from their evil ways, then I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin, and I'll heal their land. You know what that is? That's restoration. You see, Solomon knows, I just think he knows that somehow down the line his people are going to let God down. That they're going to forget about God. And because God is a just God, Solomon even prayed, when the wicked do wrong, bring Bring what they deserve upon them. Bring judgment on them. And here God says, I've heard your prayer in, in verse number 12. I've heard your prayer and I've chosen this place for myself. In other words, I have chosen to dwell in the tabernacle. Or in the temple, I should say. In verse number 13, He said, If I close up heaven so there's no rain. In other words, there's a drought. I command the grasshopper. There's locusts and grasshoppers that consume the land so there is no harvest. I send pestilence on my people. He says, this is the judgment of me on my people. But if my people who are called by my name, not asking the world to repent, it's not asking sinners to repent, it's not asking unbelievers to repent, it's asking those who have called on the name of God, those believers, those cross followers, those children of God, if those who have called on His name shall do three or four things then God will restore them. I want to share these three or four things with you this morning the best way I can, the quickest way I can. The first thing I want you to see, the prerequisite number one for restoration, is that we must humble ourselves. 
That's what he says in verse 14. If my people would call my, man, my name shall humble themselves. I'm reminded of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18. He said, I assure you, unless you are converted and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. 1 Peter 5 and 6, the Bible says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that He may exalt you at the proper time. Guys, you know what we've got to do in order for restoration to take place? And I don't know where you are in your life, but I promise you, if you don't need it right now, you'll probably need it later. So I hope and pray you'll jot some of these things down on the back of your worship folder. I believe these are four things we must do in order for restoration to take place. Number one, we must humble ourselves. Now, as I was thinking, actually, I was in the back of the van last night about when this thought came to me about 1 o'clock this morning and Paul, I think Mike was driving at the time or maybe Paul was driving at the time and, and we're all in the van and I'm thinking about these four things humble ourselves, pray, seek your face turn from our wicked ways and I'm thinking, God, what does that look like? I want to share that with our church family in the morning but what does that look like? I need something tangible what does it look like? and the Lord laid these three things on my heart that I want to share with you. This first one is a towel. The Bible says that we, as Christ followers, those who call on the name of God, it says that we must what? Humble ourselves. I guess the greatest picture of humility has to be found in John chapter 13. When here you have Jesus, the very Son of God Himself, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he gathers his disciples into the upper room and because all of them are in, are in religious, politic mode, if you will, they were jockeying for the best seat around the table. You ever do that? You ever, you ever, you ever do that? They, they were jockeying for the best. They wanted to be the ones to sit beside Jesus. Or they wanted the, the, the distinguished seat beside Jesus. And they forgot to do what was their custom and wash each other's feet prior to even coming in and sitting at the table to dine. Jesus acknowledges this and He gets up and it says in John 13 that He took off His outer robe and His outer garment and laid it aside and He girded Himself and He became a servant. And He got down and started washing the disciples' feet. Now, guys, before restoration can ever take place in our life, we've got to crush pride and we've got to humble ourselves. We've got to be willing to take the lowliest job, to do the lowliest task. In that day, there was a pecking order even for the slaves of that day and the servants of that day. But the one who had the job of washing the feet of the guest was the lowest position on the totem pole for any servant or slave of that day. And Jesus said, I'm going to do that. He humbled himself. And guys, I think a lot of reasons why a lot of people aren't restored is because of pride. The Bible says that pride goeth before destruction, a haughty spirit before fall. And guys, before you can ever be restored, you must be broken. And you must acknowledge that you're a sinful individual. And that, yeah, I've, you've made some mistakes. I've made some mistakes. We've got to get to the place where we can humble ourselves. And you want to be great in heaven? Jesus said, become the least. 
a servant. You see, a lot of times in churches, and I'm talking as our church as a whole, a lot of times in churches nobody wants to do the low jobs. Nobody wants to wash the feet, so to speak. No one wants to do the humble, get no credit, nobody see what I'm doing jobs. But in order for restoration to take place in our own soul, there's got to be that humble spirit. We've got to crush pride and repent. But also believe for restoration to take place in the church, we all have to be humble. We have to be willing to serve. I'll be honest with you. There has not been one day in my life where I have aspired to be a pastor. There's not been one day in my life where I dreamed about standing behind a pulpit and preaching to people. There's not been one day in my life where I pleaded with God, don't let me do that one day. Just give me pulpit time, not one day ever. I have never asked for a pulpit to preach in. You know what I did? I just wanted to serve. I remember when my heart was broken and I rededicated my life to God and the restoration started in my and Debbie's life. All I wanted to do was serve. And I went to my pastor and I said, Pastor, what can I do to serve you? What can I do to serve our church? At that time, I wasn't ready to teach. And I said, I'm not ready to teach. But I am ready to serve. What can I do? You know what he said? He said, John, he said, I don't know how we're going to do it. You've got to understand, we had an old, old church building that my pastor started our church in. And they've since sold that building and rebuilt and relocated that beautiful facility today. I see a pattern here, don't you? <laughs> but they, they had an old building. And the building had a huge, steeped roof on it. And as I was thinking about this process of humbling ourselves, this story kind of flooded my spirit. And he said, John, we had a storm and some shingles had been knocked off the roof. He said, it's going to cost us too much to have a roofing company come out and do that. We just need to get up there somehow and patch this roof. I kid you not, it was that steep. You could not stand on this roof. And he said, I don't know how we're going to do it. I'm a creative thinking kind of guy. Not very smart at times to do some of the stuff that I did, but if there's a will, there's a way, you know? So I said, you know what? I think I know how to do this. I said, what I'm going to do on Saturday morning, I'm going to show up. At that time, I had a 69 Ford pickup truck, Ford Ranger pickup truck, 69 Ford. And it had a big trailer hitch on the back of it where I pulled my boats and trailers and things. And I, I went to the hardware store and I bought a huge, huge nylon rope, about that thick, big one. I didn't want the thing to break. And I tied it to the bumper of my truck on the other side of the church. Now get this. This is dumb, I know, but this is what I did. I tied the other end around a hammer. <laughs> and I stood down there and it took me about 10 or 12 throws, but I finally got that thing up and over the roof and had it sliding down the other side. And it slid off and it caught in the gutter on the other side. Are you tracking with me? You got the visual? So then I said, give me a ladder. And they said, well, we've got two ladders. I said, that's what I need. I need one to stand up against the building. So we stood a ladder up against the building. I climbed up the ladder. They're all standing back and what is what in the world is this guy doing? I just wanted to serve. And if the church needed a new shingle, just two or three put on, I was going to do it or die trying. <laughs> Literally. So I climbed this ladder and I grabbed hold of the rope, and I said, now walk that other ladder up to me. And they walked the other one up to me, and I tied the rope off on the end of that other ladder. And I said, somebody get in my truck and pull this ladder up until I tell you stop. 
on the other side. So they got on the other side of the church. They got in my truck. They pulled forward. The ladder went up on the road. I said, that's good. And they stopped. I said, now keep that thing in park. Don't let it roll off. Don't back up. Don't do anything. You stay put in that truck. That's my anchor. And I climbed up on that roof, and I climbed on that ladder, and I worked my way up to where that shingle was, and I had them tied onto my belt, and I reached up there and replaced those shingles and went back down. point is this. All I wanted to do was serve. We got the roof patched, by the way. And I remember the remodeling process and the work and all that took place, and all I just wanted to serve. I never one time aspired to the position of a pastor or a deacon or a Sunday school teacher. I just wanted to serve. You know, that's still my heart's desire today. I just want to serve. Matter of fact, I've told the Lord many times, God, if I'm not to be the senior pastor of Victory Church, that's okay to me, with me. I don't aspire to that. Matter of fact, God, I, I'm, I'm, I could be a good second man. I could work under someone. That's okay. If you see somebody else that needs to lead this thing, I can work under them. Now, God's not let that happen, but that's where my heart is. And so I remember when we had our servant evangelism team, we went out here in O'Fallon and went to Becky's place of business at the Ace Hardware. And we walked in there and we had about 20 or 30 of us in there and we're just serving, we're working, we're cleaning out storage buildings, we're stocking shelves, we're just serving, trying to show God's love in a practical way. I told Becky, I said, Becky, what's the nastiest, dirtiest job that you have here at Ace Hardware? And she said, well, it's washing the bathrooms, cleaning the bathrooms. She said, but we don't even do that, we hire that done. I said, I want to do that today. No, and she said, no, pastor, I am not letting you go in there and wash, clean our bath. I said, I want that job. Give me some rubber gloves, but I want that job. And I went in there, man, I put the cleanest wash job on them bathrooms you ever seen. But guys, that's where my heart is. And for restoration to take place in your life, we've got to be willing just to serve. Without getting any credit, without aspiring anything higher, just to serve. You get that? You get that picture? Humble. But then what's the next thing? To humble ourselves and then what? Number two, you, you, you finished the sermon for me. You know it. It's right there in your notes. Pray. I'm in verse 14, chapter 7. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, secondly, and pray. Our church, if we would learn how to pray, if we would learn the power of prayer, the psalmist gives us an idea of how frequent we are to pray in Psalm 55 and 17. The psalmist said he prayed evening, morning, and noon. The apostle Paul states in 1 Thessalonians 5:17 that we are to pray without ceasing. In Ephesians 6 and 18, it says that we are to pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert in this with all perseverance and intercession for the saints. I hold before you, it's a sheepskin, literally. It's got a date on the back of it. Our last prayer session, it was an all-night prayer vigil at the prayer shack in Cornelius, North Carolina. That means nothing to you. But it was a mountain that had no power in this shack, this cabin on the top of this mountain. I started going there in 1990 to pray. And we would spend all night on Friday night or all night on Saturday night and then go to church, me and three or four or five other guys. And none of us were preachers at that time. Just servants. Just wanted to serve. In late, late 89 and, and early 90. In 1990, we started going on a regular basis. I've got a date on here, February the 8th, 1994, which was 
the last time that we prayed together at the prayer shack. And this is what I would take there. It's literally wool from a sheep and a lamb, or a sheep, if you will. And while we were praying, we wanted to break ourselves and humble ourselves and cry out to God all night in prayer and stay up and just sacrifice sleep and whatever it took just to get a hold of God in prayer. And there was a guy in the community that had some sheep and we went to him and we said, hey, whenever you shear those sheep, can we get some of the wool? And he said, sure. And, and he gave us some. We told him what it was for and we would get a hold of God in prayer. And I just take this because it reminds me that, that Christ is my shepherd. I'm just a sheep. I don't know which way to go. And if he leads me to myself, I'll die. I don't even know how to take care of myself apart from Christ. And it keeps me humble. And I still use this to this day. Whenever I pray in my office, it stays in my study, in my office. And whenever I spend time with God in prayer, I grab this. I bury my face in it. I can't tell you how many tears have been cried into my prayer cloth, into this lamb skin. But guys, we've got to get serious about prayer. If we really want restoration to take place in our life, we want restoration to take place in our church, we must humble ourselves and we also must get serious about prayer. Oh, I'm not talking just a little now, lay me down to sleep prayer. I'm talking about those prayers when you just get a hold of God. Just you and God by yourself. You're in your prayer closet. I share very little with what takes place with me and my God in my prayer time. But it's a very intimate, powerful time that I have on a regular basis. And this is, I'm, I'm, I'm a tangible guy. I need something to help me with some of this stuff. And so I've put some things in my life to help me. And I grab hold of this and I pray. And guys, if restoration is going to take place in your spirit, if restoration is going to take place in our church, if we're going to grow and be a powerful church that, that can really influence this community for the cause of Christ, which is my heartbeat, then we must be a church that knows how to serve with a humble spirit. And we must be a church that knows how to pray. How's your prayer life? When's the last time you spent some time with God just alone, just you and God in prayer? i got to go. I can't just camp out there. The third thing, you know the next one, humble ourselves, the towel. Pray, the lambskin. Then the third one is seek God's face. Seek God's face. Well, what's the, how do we do that? What does that look like to seek God's face? I mean, it's one thing to say, yeah, seek God's face and restoration can take place. What does that look like? I need something. Show me what that looks like. I'm not that smart. I need something simple. Show me what it looks like to seek the face of God. The best thing I can show you is a copy of God's Word. I've showed this and shared this with you before. This little New Testament that I hold, it's very brittle. But this was my great-grandpa's little Bible. The story goes, and he died when I was just a baby. The story goes that he wore bib overalls everywhere he went. He preached at Shaps Grove Baptist Church, was the church I went back home to, and preached my grandma's funeral and buried her out there close to where he's buried in the church cemetery. But the story is he couldn't read. He couldn't read a lick. And so he would ask 
his wife, my great-grandmother, to read a portion of God's Word to him in the evening. He would stand up and preach on Sunday what he heard from the Scripture. And then he would point her to different places in the Bible. And the story goes, it's been passed down to me from my great-aunt and my dad about my great-grandfather was that he took this little Bible that was always in his bib overalls. That's where he carried it all the time. The little zipper, he unzipped it, had this little Bible there, zipped it back up. He preached and wore those all the time. He took this little Bible up on the hillside and he said, God, you've called me to preach your word. I want to read it. Help me to read and understand your word. The story that's been passed down to me from my great aunt, which was his sister, and my dad about my great-grandfather was that he could not read the newspaper. He could not read the mail. He could not read anything else anywhere. But he got to the place after seeking the face of God where he could read this Bible. Matter of fact, he got to the place where he could write. And he wrote this in a little flyleaf of the front of the Bible and it tore out. I'd love to show you the the spelling of how he really drew figures for letters instead of just writing letters. But guess what verse it is? Second Chronicles, chapter 7, verse number 14. It says, if my people, you should see how it's spelled, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. Guys, When are we going to take our faith serious enough to where we really want to seek the face of God? With this Bible also, this is the Bible that I went through college with. This Bible is marked up, but I can't tell you the hours and hours and hours that I spent in this Bible. Just documenting things, writing things, making notes. Guys, we need to seek the face of God. How does God speak to us? He does it four ways. One, through His Word. He speaks to us through His Word. And if we're going to seek the face of God, church, we must find time to park and camp out and glean and dig into the Word of God. He speaks to us through His Word. He speaks to us through the Holy Spirit, our inner conscience. The Holy Spirit nudges us and shares with us and leads us. Usually that's as, as out of a result of gleaning and reading God's Word. He speaks to us thirdly through other people, godly people, other believers, that God will lay on someone's heart to speak a word to you and you'll share that word and you get some wisdom, some godly counsel from other people. Fourth way God speaks to you is through circumstances of life. My point is this. If restoration is going to take place, we must seek the face of God. We must spend time in God's Word. Last one, I'm closing with this one and I'm done. Is to turn from our wicked ways. This is a requirement of God. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 30, it says, Therefore, having overlooked the time of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent. Guys, you know what will not stand? Ignorance. You know how people say ignorance is bliss? That may be true with some things in this world, but I promise you it's not true with God's Word. There was a time, God said, when He overlooked times of ignorance, but not anymore. Why? Because 
It's finished on the cross. Everything is said and done. It's over. The plan of salvation has been made. And he says, now I command every people everywhere to repent. Jesus even said, I tell you, but unless you repent, you'll all perish. Guys, in order for restoration to take place, we've got to turn from our wicked ways. I wonder as every head is bowed and every eye is closed. For restoration to take place, we must humble ourselves. For restoration to take place, we must pray. We must seek God's face. We must turn from our our wicked ways. Let me give you a few quick pointers here in closing. I want you to know this. It doesn't matter how gross your past may be. Jesus Christ stands by right now to not only forgive, but to also restore. How's your life? How's your soul right now? As I have on the screen, really, how are you? Right now, how are you? How's your spirit? How's your soul? It doesn't matter where you've been. The Lord is ready to forgive. And He's ready to restore. If you're going to be restored, you must be honest about your spiritual condition. And I also say this. When you start being honest with God, get ready for God to be honest with you. If you're really serious about this thing called restoration, you humble yourself, you pray, you seek God's faith, you repent, you turn from your wicked ways, you start walking with God, I want you to realize He's there ready to forgive you and to restore you. But I also want you to be ready that when you start being serious and honest about your spiritual condition, expect God to be serious and honest. He'll point out some things in your life. He'll convict you of some areas in your life. Maybe it was something you said, something you did, something you didn't do, something you didn't say. But let God speak to your heart right now. Heavenly Father, what a great topic. I'm so thankful that we as a church will be studying this topic of restoration this week. Dear God, if there's one here today that you have fingered around in their heart, I pray, dear Lord, right now, Lord, that the process of restoration would begin. Pray they'd humble themselves. Pray, seek your face. Repent, turn from their wicked ways. God, draw us to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life, if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with, or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618-622-9360. That's 618-622-9360. Or you can email us at victory at victorychurchonline.net. That's victory at victorychurchonline.net. 
If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can call, email, or send a request to 715 Lake Point Center, Suite 109 in O'Fallon, Illinois. Or come check us out on the web at www.victorychurchonline.net. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us.